Hello and welcome to this podcast from the British Society of Criminology. My name is Omar Phoenix Khan, a doctoral candidate at the University of Westminster and also the host of the criminology podcast Justice Focus. This is the first in a series of podcasts from the BSC and I'm happy to say that I'm joined by Professor David Best from the University of Derby. Professor David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to have you. And now, I know that you're involved in many different projects and that you're a trained psychologist as well as a criminologist, but I wanted to ask you about your role as the chair of the BSC Prison Research Network. So for those who are unfamiliar with the network, could you give us a little brief outline of what it's about and what the main aims are? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the, the, the main purpose is to promote, develop and enhance uh, research around prisons. It's as simple as that. But from, from my point of view, I think it's fair to say that the network had been a little bit dormant for the year or so prior to me taking over as chair. Uh, and so effectively, my role was to try and reinvigorate and revitalise the network. And I'm really pleased to say that we've managed to build up a, a whole load of new members and we have something in the region of 70 or 80 members now. But more importantly, what we want to do is to try and make criminology research attractive uh, in the area of prisons and particularly with the idea of saying, can we make it engaging for all stakeholders? So we want to have something that's appealing to the prison to prisoners, to prison staff, as well as to candidate students. And one of the things uh, we've put most emphasis on is can we try and develop a postgraduate network as part of the of the PRN? Mm. Okay, great, thanks. And in terms of the current context, obviously with the global COVID pandemic, we mm. can't escape that at all at the moment. How is that affecting work? Are you being able to still stay in touch with the network through this time? Yeah, I mean, I have to say that prison research is currently completely suspended. It will come as a surprise to absolutely nobody yeah. that the Ministry of Justice has effectively just said there is nothing to happen at the moment. And friends and colleagues I have who worked in the prison service have basically been saying they are now beginning to slowly find their feet. They've developed processes and, and ways of coping. But I think it's fair to say that it's been pretty much a crisis response uh, from them uh, during the course of the crisis. And, and I, I, I think, as with many areas of my work, mm. COVID has also offered some incredible opportunities for innovation and creative ways of working. And one of the things I, I hope will come out of this is a whole new set of potential research questions for our network, mm. both about the crisis and about some of the interesting and positive things that have come out of it. In terms of the network itself, yeah, we've been doing, I guess, what a lot of people have been doing. We've switched our meetings to online and we've actually discovered that we more people attending the meetings online, uh, as you can imagine, and I'm sure it's the same for all of the networks, mm. um, that when you have uh, a national membership, wherever you host the meetings is, is challenging yeah, for people to get to. And I think one of the things we'll now do moving forward is we'll effectively try and have hybrid meetings where we try and encourage people to come along 
but we, where possible, we'll have them online. And I, I'm really pleased to say that uh, we, we had to cancel a, a meeting where we had three excellent speakers um, coming to, to give us presentations, uh, which is on the 26th, uh, which was in March. Now we've rescheduled it for the 26th of June. And all three of our speakers, um, Jamie Bennett, Sarah Nixon and Dave Honeywell, are going to do their presentations live um, uh, by uh, in the Zoom meeting when we when we hold it. So it, I, th I think with participation, things don't have to necessarily move backwards. And, and the other thing that's inspired us to do with, uh, with meetings like that is to start to say, OK, well, let's record them. Mm. We're in the process of developing a, um, a PRN website um, so that we can start creating a repository of, of the presentations we have. So, as I say, I mean, necessity is kind of the mother of invention for us. It's given us the opportunity to, to move to another way of working, but probably in some ways a much better and fairer and more accessible way because we've tended to have most of our meetings so far in the Midlands and the north of England. Well, I guess we can have them all online and record the sessions. They become a resource and are accessible to everyone. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I think um, these adaptations have helped people think of ways to diversify the way that we get messages across. And I think it's really interesting where you say about trying to make the, the work more attractive to different groups. And so I just wondered if you could say a little bit more about that and how you think prison research can be made more attractive and which groups are you talking about yeah i mean I, I, the, the session we're going to have in june i think is a good example because the three people we have speaking there uh they're speaking about uh, as an ex-prison officer who's become a, a phd student in criminology an ex-prisoner who's who ha now has his phd in criminology and teaches in the area and a current prison governor who uh, edits the prison services journal and actively contributes to research. Now, for me, I think we're far too narrow a discipline and far too small a group if all we're interested in is criminology researchers, criminology teachers mm. who, who dabble in research. What I'd much rather see is, is both in terms of agenda setting that we have multiple stakeholder groups, mm. prisoners, and especially disenfranchised groups like prison prisoners' families, whose voices are rarely heard in research. Yeah. But also prison officers, healthcare staff, uh, prison governors, the Ministry of Justice. You know, for, for us to grow and become relevant and vibrant as a network, one of the things we have to try and do is to say, okay, how can we engage some of those external populations and groups and how can we how can we actively engage them in the work that we are doing? And I think that's important because both in terms of co-produced and co-designed research, mm. but also to make sure, you know, one of the concerns that happens in prison uh, prison. Uh, research, which I've really noticed is PhD student has a great idea. Mm -hmm. uh, they approach their local prison. The local governor is not particularly interested in that, and they're kind of stuck. And I'd like to see one of the potential roles for the Prison Research Network moving forward to be almost being a clearing house. Mm. So we can then go to the MOJ or the governor's network and say to them, Look, here's here's some in, here's some students who are interested in doing things, or here's some researchers who are interested in doing things. Which prisons would want to pick this up? Yeah. 
so we we can become and also by doing so become more relevant to the service as well rather than you know it's a supervisor and a student uh, come up with a, a research project which may or may not be a benefit or relevance to to any of those stakeholder populations and yeah i think that's really interesting sort of providing that facilitator role between the two because yeah i know from working inside prisons myself that there a lot of people working in them can be wary of outsiders and what they might be saying yeah. and and yeah like you say some sometimes people might have interesting projects but is that going to have an some kind of impact in the prison service because it, yeah. it can be difficult to accommodate people in prisons when there's, there's a hard enough job going on anyway but obviously there's such potential to to drive forward some progressive change by having this collaboration yeah. with different groups so yeah I, I think it's really interesting um that you bring that up as as a possible option for the. Now, if I could just add one more thing to that, Omar, what, from uh, as a refugee from kind of addiction science, mm. um, when we do addiction recovery research projects, we now have to run most of them past our PPI, mm. uh, our public patient involvement panel. Um, and it's really important because it gets that sense of relevance early and it addresses lots of those kind of key ethical issues mm. about why do the research, how do the research, that it's actually going to be a benefit to the people you're working with, yeah. the, the, the people who are making sacrifices. And I think that ethos uh, hasn't really been adopted as well or as much as it could do in the prison setting. And so for us, one of the things, and one of the main challenges, which I'm sure you'll be aware of if you've done prison research yourself, is that um, the whole process of getting ethical clearance and access mm -hmm is a major challenge and, and, and hurdle. And it, it feels a little bit as if every student, every researcher kind of is starting from scratch. And one of the things, uh, so one of the things we're hoping for for our website is to put on some guidance for supervisors and for PhD students Great. about how to go around that process. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know lots of people that would find that really helpful and interesting. So that's that would be great going forward. Yeah. Mm. And obviously we've touched on research a lot then could you tell us a little about your own research in prisons yeah so um basically uh, i've been primarily involved in three uh prisons recently so uh, i've been involved in the drug recovery program which is in hmp home house in the northeast where a measure i've developed called the rec cap which is a, a, a strengths-based measure of assessing recovery resources has been used for the for the last two years as a way of helping to try and identify pathways to long-term recovery for mm. prisoners with alcohol and drug problems. The other two prisons I've been involved in, which I, I think offer huge potential going forward, and, and all of my work really is about kind of strengths-based approaches. So I, I was involved in a, a program that we, we trialed and developed at HMP Kirkham, which is a category D prison which was called the Connectors, Family Connectors Program. Mm -hmm. And that was really about, for people in the last parts of their sentence, how could we bring family members in, train them up to be connectors, to create assertive links into pro-social activities post-release. Um, and we, we, we are continuing with that work. And I know there's MOG interest in expanding that. And, and that work so has been already taken up by the prison service in Belgium. Um, the, the other major program, which I'm hugely excited about, is uh, in HMP Weimar, 
which is, which is a cat seat prison mm. uh, just outside Preston, um, where we've been doing some asset-based community development with prisoners. And a lot of it is about releasing and, uh, and tapping into the skills and resources prisoners have, because I'm sure you'll be aware adequacy of education and training support for prisoners is 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 challenging mm. and so what we've done in Wymot is we did a an extensive ABCD asset-based community development exercise uh, and on the basis of that we now have well pre-COVID we had 11 mm -hmm. sets of training programs run by prisoners for prisoners in areas as diverse as conversational Cantonese, conversational Spanish, uh, cookery, even knitting classes in an mm. adult male prison. Uh, and the last area of my work is um, I have the huge privilege to be a, an honorary professor um, in the School of Regulation and Global Governance at Australian National University, where I get to work with John and Val Braithwaite. Um, and so I have a PhD student who is looking uh, um, responsive regulation in prisons um, and I've, I've been astonished and delighted at how positive and engaged the IMB, the PPO and HMIP have all been in supporting that process and it's been a it's been a really interesting but so the idea is can we use a kind of strengths-based um, restorative model for mm. inspection and regulation in the prison service. Great. I mean, this sounds really interesting. And just to just to make it clear, then, because I think some people I've spoken to about the the overall research network have have thought about it as focusing specifically on British prisons. But they've mentioned quite a lot of international collaboration. I know some of that's your own personal research, but is that something you're looking to expand for the network to oh, to expand absolutely. the focus, or is it yeah. a very specific idea? No, no, no. I mean, absolutely. So I, I, my own work has always been uh, international. So I, I, one of the projects I've got is I do some work with the drug courts in Auckland and New Zealand, where mm -hmm. uh, for, for prisoners, for people on the programme who are sent to prison short term for breaching, uh, we've now got a recovery wing in Auckland prison. Um, and I think some of that work about therapeutic um, courts and the relationship to prisons, you know, there's, there's, there's a myriad of opportunities. I'm sure for, for anyone who, uh, certainly the feedback I've had from a lot of our students and staff is they're frequently the only person doing prison research in their, in their department or their university, mm. irrespective of whether it's a sociology, criminology, law department. So for me, the, the networks are crucial. And while the focus will always primarily be on British networks, it would seem incredibly myopic and narrow to say we're not going to try and develop those international networks. I think one of my jobs and, uh, and the jobs of all of those involved in the Committee for the Prison Research Network is to say, how do we make our role relevant? And how mm -hmm. do we service our members by providing them with links and information and connections and contacts. So it, it seems to me absolutely critical that, that we, we look to develop national and international links. And, you know, I think it, it would be it would be incredibly beneficial and useful to say, how does it work in other countries? How can we tap into some of those things? So um, I, 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 it feels to me it's, it's baby steps. We're still early and COVID has slightly slowed our progress. But I think we should be hugely ambitious. The, the BSC carries a, a really positive name and reputation 
it has itself in incredibly good international links and connections. And tapping into that and building on it, I think, is a core thing for us to do. Great. And, and talking about expanding and um, getting more people involved, I, I know you've just mentioned you've got quite an active membership and there's, I think you've said there's around 80 people actively involved at the moment. Are you, is it part of your strategy to specifically try and grow that? And are there specific areas or networks yeah. or groups of people that you are hoping to bring in that perhaps haven't been involved as much before? Yeah, I mean, so we, we're still early, we're, but we, we're open to a range of different expansions. So I'm really delighted that... Um, I have two colleagues, Lewis and Bronwyn, who have agreed to lead, a, lead up our, our network in, in developing a, a specific postgraduate subgroup within it. And, and that seems to me crucial. Um, I, I'm, I'm probably getting too old to remember my own PhD. Uh, it's, it can be a lonely and difficult experience. And while you may well end up with peers, having a peer group of people who are doing the same kind of things, who are facing the same kind of challenges about access and ethics and so on, uh, this this feels to me crucial. And I would say roughly half of our, our members in the overall network are currently doing PhDs. So we wanted, to, we, we wanted to and we will continue to develop something specifically for them. And I think that's a crucial thing for us to do. Um, we, we also have a colleague, Helen, who is looking to develop something specifically around education. So that's penology teaching, and I guess it might include the kind of inside-out programs. Um, so there, for, for us, there's, there, there's opportunity there. But the, 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 the key thing that I mentioned right at the start that for me is, is about expansion is I don't, mm. I don't want the, networks, the network just to be about academic criminologists. I think it will, be mm. thri it will really thrive as a network when we have a combination of prisoners, ex-prisoners, family members, peer, peer organisations, officers. We have links with the MOG. I, I'd want to see us become a kind of relevant pressure group, player, voice mm. in the field. And that might be quite an ambitious objective, but it, it, it seems to me that we, we should be. And it feels a little bit like the PRN is slightly invisible and irrelevant to some of those key groups. And I've had preliminary discussions from, with someone from the Ministry of Justice Reduce and Reoffending team about how we can potentially formalise some of those links and that we could potentially play a role in uh, research that they commission so that particularly if they're looking for national coverage, we could potentially do that through the BSC Prison Research Network. Brilliant. I think, yeah, I think that's it's such an important aspect to the work in terms of bringing different groups together because, yeah, and, you know, we work with lots of different people and I've worked in different areas where there's so many people doing such interesting, exciting work, but they don't often have the time to develop those individual links with other groups themselves. And there's so many people in prisons doing great projects, but they don't have time to read the latest yeah. academic journals. And equally, you know, people doing some really brilliant research or working in NGOs that have to worry about the project cycle and where the next donor funding is coming from. And they don't have the time to do all the other specific areas of expertise and so to bring those together I think is really interesting and as you mentioned right at the beginning as well bringing in prison officers prison governors um as active members of the BSC as well I think it's really interesting. yeah I mean I yeah. think otherwise we, we just become a very kind of inward looking social club um and I want us to have more relevance than that yeah 
Great. And just to touch lastly on your, like you mentioned, your your own research. I know that you're already supervising some PhD students, but are there particular areas that you're looking to supervise in the future? I know that you've just mentioned about PhD students and yeah. how they're making up a growing part of the membership, yeah. but just to maybe a little plug for you. So <laughs> there's, are you hoping there's some, uh, some areas of research that you'd like to take on some more? Yeah. PhD I mean, anyone who is interested in in anything to do with regulation and governance of prisons, I think this is a massively under-researched area and an area where there are big opportunities and really good access. I think I've been pleasantly surprised that, for instance, the prison probation ombudsman have basically kind of said they would really welcome research partnerships. Um, HMIP have been surprisingly open to this idea as well. So there is a big opportunity there. I mean, yeah. I, I think the second uh, the second thing that I'd want to mention is I have a paper coming out in the Prison Services Journal with various Australian colleagues where we've asked the question about what's the point of strength-based activities in prisons? You know, things like football teams and yoga and park runs and all of those kind of positive uh apparently interested in engaging things and, and yet we don't have a common metric for measuring the effectiveness of strength-based mm. activities in prisons how do we go about thinking what's the point so i was recently well, last time i was in canberra uh, um i went to the alexander mcconaughey center which is the the prison in in the australian capital territory and the governor said to me you're supposed to know about this stuff should we go to the time and effort of arranging a park run it's going to be logistically really complicated for us. Should we do it? And, you know, my mm. view would be, well, I don't know if you're better having guitar lessons or uh, pottery classes or park runs. And that seems to, we, we are, when we look at deficit addressing uh, interventions, we're much clearer about what we want them to do. With strength-based things, mm. we're, uh, we're not at all. And if anyone was interested in that broad question of what makes... Um, prisons particularly relevant or interesting or helpful to people? I think that's a key question. And in that context, I work with a, 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 an Aboriginal elder called Sharon Hamilton, mm -hmm. who also works at the Australian National University. And we've been de developing the idea of justice capital, about the rehabilitative mm -hmm. potential of institutions. Uh, what can prisons do? And again, if you you, you gave me a platform for uh, advertising, I think this is a hugely interesting <laughs> question. What makes a prison mm. a, an environment that creates the possibility for positive change? Yeah. So anyone wants to do PhDs in any of those things, I'd be delighted to surprise. <laughs> yeah, well, sounds really exciting. And, and of course, and it could be so different in so many different places. Absolutely. Well, the idea of looking at impacts but uh, yeah thinking about those um sort of, as you call them strength-based interventions i'm sure it's very different in canberra to somewhere in absolutely we also don't yeah we also don't yet have the language to articulate how or why and i think those questions are key questions along the road because if you go to every and one of the things that struck me is if you go to virtually any prison in britain they will typically have three or four at least innovative, interesting, unusual programs on offer. But you, mm. I've yet to get anyone to come up with a satisfactory answer to why, you know, what do they want them to achieve? Yeah, yeah. Right, well, there's there's a call to arms for people to come 
Maybe you'll be flooded with emails. Now. I'll be happy to. Great. Right. Well, I think that's all we have time for. But Professor David Best, thank you so much for taking the time. To oh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. And thank you to the listener as well. If you'd like some more information on the Prison Research Network or any of the other BSC networks, you can find some information on the website, which is britsockcrim.org slash networks. So that's Brit as in British, Sock as in the first three letters of society, and Crim as in criminology.org slash networks. My name is Omar Phoenix Khan. Thanks for listening.